Hello, this is Jamie. And this is Heather. And welcome to Using Our Inside Voice, a podcast where we awaken to the extraordinary meaning of everyday mundane life by passing it through a particle collider of different and differing perspectives. So today we're using our inside voice to talk about the haunted and the hereafter. We spoke about our time as paranormal investigators to some degree in episode five titled How We Got Started, but it's always fun to revisit and there's so much more to discuss. And since we're all counting down to Halloween, there's no better time to revisit our favorite ghostly encounters and what we learned as a result of our exploits, starting with our most memorable moments. So, Yay, ghosty so stuff. Yeah, so, <laughs> so what, are your, what is your most memorable moment? Oh, man. I still feel like the most memorable moments are coming from the Queen Mary. I think oh, it's, yeah. it's where we spent the most amount of time and we got to know the spirits there. And I think mine will still be the very first go, the very first outing. Like, yeah, mine too. That was crazy because I, I really wasn't expecting it at all. I had no expectations. And I brought a few things with me, like on the off chance, like I had my little point and click camera and I had a little recorder. Oh, wait, you're and... talking about prior to the first official investigation. You're talking about yeah, when it was just I'm you and Brian wandering the first, ship. First, first time. Uh, first, first time. Because that's where Party in the Mirror came from. And I yeah. think we have that posted in our insights. So no, we have it posted subscribe. on Instagram. Oh, on Instagram. We should post that on our insights. Maybe we'll do it for this one. So if you want to catch up on our insights, make sure you subscribe to our Patreon page because that's where all of those things are going to be living. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, Party in the Mirror was amazing because I I just took a chance at taking some shots of an area that was literally in the process of being closed up for the day. I hadn't gotten down there yet and I wanted to just see what there was to see and and document it and had no idea that I was going to be catching anything and so moreover I don't think I think re-looking at the evidence after all these years I don't even think it's about catching anything you had them with you like when we posted the what evp on instagram you caught them they were talking along you know why i didn't catch that you had other evps along with the what that's so clear is because i thought it was the tour guides or the people working Mm -hmm. there talking to each other i didn't realize that that was the girls yeah, no, there was nobody else with me down there when when that was happening. That was the cool thing was that literally I was down there by myself. I had passed one of the tour guides who was getting ready to start closing things up. And she's like, well, everything down there is cleared. So I'll turn back around before, you know, I, I completely button everything up and make sure that you've gotten out. But that was it. And she was on her way to the other end of the ship so it was i knew it was going to take her probably at least half an hour if not more to to make her way back towards where i was so i knew i had a little bit of time and she had told me as much she gave me the heads up about that but from the minute we got on the ship and because we basically at the time they were doing um 
I want to remember what the name of the tour was. It was something like the uh, A-Class Haunted Encounters Tour. And it basically gave you access to their quote-unquote scary ghost show. The regular, which I think that's the... That's the Haunted Legends show. It's mm-hmm, like the scary mm-hmm. version where they the have like the special effects. effects. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I was not at all interested in and did not, didn't do that first mm-hmm. time. I didn't do it at all. Um, and the uh, regular ghost tour, which we did too, that was the first thing that we did. And then you also get to do like the self-guided tour and there's a couple other things that they had added in on that at the time. And so that was our first time going back to the ship. And God, I hadn't been on the ship since I was probably, God, I think 10 or 11 at the very most was probably the last time that I had been on the ship. And I had been on it several times before when I was younger. I know we remember a lot of the same exhibits from when we were younger, like the Jacques Cousteau and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we went on really just to get a feel for, you know, what was happening paranormally, because that's something that we were starting to get more curious about and wanting to actually do things like investigations. And like I said, we had a recorder, I had a little point and shoot camera. And the minute we started the, um, the, the regular ghost tour, I remember, feeling something with me we had come out of the royal theater where they used to start the show and rounded the corner and i could feel a little hand on in my hand i had my hand just by my side and it felt like what it feels like when a little kid grabs your hand and there were some little kids on the tour so i looked around to see (laughs) It's like, whose child is latching on to me and looked around and there's, there's no kid by me. Oh, okay. And (laughs) I kept feeling it. And I remember there were a couple points in the tour where either the tour guide was talking about like a spooky story or, you know, relaying something that was maybe a little more scary or involved death. And I could feel the little hand squeeze and I could feel the little, like, like if a little kid grabs your hand and then grabs your arm at the same time to like snug you in. And I'd look down again and there was nothing. So I had her with me. And when I say her, I mean, Jackie, because that's who we we came to realize that's who that was. Mm -hmm. But I had her with me for the entire tour. And the thing that got me about that was at that point, the route that they were taking the last stop on the tour was the observation lounge. And I thought it was hilarious because she let go of my hand right before we crossed the threshold into the observation lounge. And it was like, she knew that, that was not a place where she was supposed to go. She was too young for that. Because the observation lounge lounge is the bar. Is the bar. It's, it's, right. it's the adult place. And I thought that was hilarious. And 
in all of it, if I think about it, in all of our years investigating and all of the times investigating, I never felt her once in the observation lounge. I would feel her in the hallways next to it and right up to, but never inside. So I, you know, that was one of those cute little things that we could always look back on and go, oh, Jackie, you little <laughs> bean, acting like, act like a little human, just, you know, not going where she's not supposed to. And again, it just, the, the whole location, it never disappointed. So no. like that first time really set the bar high because so many things happened. Not only did I feel her, but I got the picture of the party in the mirror, which is amazing. And um, again, that's posted on, that is posted on Instagram, but we'll post it again in the insights page for this episode on Patreon, but such a good shot. And I almost chucked it. I almost chucked it. I looked at that and didn't see a damn thing and had Brian, my husband, not walked behind me and went, what's that? I would not have known. I didn't pick it out at all at first. And once we <laughs> opened it up, I was like, whoa, you got to be kidding me. And then we went and we tried to debunk it. We took, psh, what? like 125, 200 frames yeah. in different angles around the same spot with, mm -hmm. with, you know, different conditions and different settings could not recreate that. Not at all. And yeah, just amazing. So yeah, that, that first, that first visit just set the bar really high. And, and I can honestly say that it never disappointed. There was always something there always something even if it wasn't getting you know a great piece of photographic you know evidence it was fantastic evps or just on a personal note whatever we were feeling mm -hmm. and especially in relation with the people that we were around when we started investigating with other people and other groups it wasn't just one person ran randomly feeling something we'd all pick up on on things and in different places but at the same time even so it was uh you know it was always really interesting and i am itching to get back on that well ship. and going back and to going going back to debunking the party in the mirror photo it turned out um because we had gotten also another photo that was crazy it looked crazy mm -hmm. And we called it ghost jacket. And we couldn't understand yeah. because one of the displays was a um, set of bunk – was it a set of bunk beds? It was, was set up of sort beds? of like uh, World War II time. Yes. Was that it? But there were mm – -hmm. but there was plexiglass. There, well, hold on now. So okay. when she gets this picture, you look at it and it looks like there's this like almost like a denim jacket hanging off – one of very the corners neatly of folded. The bed. Very neatly folded. And we were like, what? And this is the same time she catches the party in the mirror. And so when we went back to debunk, we went back to debunk both of them. And it turns out that the ghost jacket picture uh, was a reflection due to the plexiglass in yeah. front of the display. It, there was a picture opposite the bed to show exactly what it would have looked like 
during the time that it was supposed to represent the setup was and supposed cityscape. to represent and the yeah and a city that's right the cityscape it was the weird lines in the cityscape and just the way the picture it turned out with the reflection it looked just like a jacket hanging off the side it was incredibly yeah. perplexing and and at first it was the one that was more amazing to me than the party in the mirror because the party in the mirror was so wtf that i was like nah yeah <laughs> nah that's just that's not nah that's not a thing uh-uh, no and then when we went back to debunk it and we realized there's no plexiglass in front of the party in the mirror uh, diorama or whatever you want to call it, the setup, what we realized was that the only way to re- to try and recreate that shot with actual people was to position them inside the display. Inside the display, there's a pony wall that's about, it came up to um, kind of right above my belly button. So pretty short pony wall. And they would have had to have been right in front of that pony wall and to the left of me. And that blew my mind mm-hmm. when, yeah. when I realized, and, and we must've stuck, like we stuck our hands on the other side there, just, just trying to get something to show up in the mm-hmm. same angle. And these displays, I mean, those displays are still there. They haven't touched those things in years and years and years. I doubt that anybody even really goes down there and cleans unless there's like, you know, a piece of trash or something makes it on the other side of the pony wall. And in in that case, I'm pretty sure that it's probably just a little, a grabby claw is used to nab it out of there. But I don't think anybody <laughs> hops the wall and goes in and like wipes things down and repositions stuff because it is the exact same things that have been in there the entire time. And, you know, it, that was, that was nuts trying to figure out how in the hell you would position something to make it show up where it showed up because it reflected in two different places because of the angle of um, two mirrors. There is a, a mirror straight on that had a, uh, it's like a trifold mirror, Mm -hmm. but they're very short folds on the side. Right. And then an oval mirror that is closer and because of the way those sides on the mirror that was straight ahead were positioned, you could see the reflection of the oval mirror in it. And they showed up in like three different places. And then my arm showed up in three different places. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's my arm. And that's what I thought it was at first. When I first saw it, I'm like, just like, oh, well, that's my arm. Mm-hmm. And then Brian's like, no, 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 no. That's your arm. But what's that? And what's that? And what's that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, right. uh, my hair. And he's like, no, because this is your hair. And I'm like, oh, shit. Holy <laughs> shit. Right. Because the little girl who showed up in the picture looked an awful lot like you. Yeah. Had, she really had did. She looked, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wavy hair and about the same length, mm-hmm. uh, same texture, same length, same roundish face, mm-hmm. round eyes from what I can remember and then you sent the picture to me and I almost dismissed it out of hand I'm like what's what and Brian explained to me and I'm like oh shit (laughs) oh damn and I put it into Photoshop and enlarged it and brought up the contrast and boom they just appeared it's almost one of those things where it's so obvious you miss it because it's too obvious to be real 
your your thinking brain immediately wants to come up with a context where that is normal mm-hmm. and there's nothing to see here and move along and it does <laughs> flawlessly it mine yeah. flawless like it didn't there was yeah. no there was no moment of thought before it was dismissed it was dismissed mm-hmm. before i could even get a moment of thought i was like what i don't see it And I find that when I show people that picture, a lot of times they don't see it either until even if I have, I show them the marked up one where it circles Mm -hmm. and explains, it doesn't, you can see there's nothing happening up there. The gears are not turning. That's that's people in a mirror. Yeah. And right. Like, yes, but those people were not physically present. (laughs) Right. Right. It's just not something that you... I want to say it's not something you want to believe, but yes, of course you want to believe it. But I think that's part of the problem is you want to believe it so badly that mm-hmm. you can't believe it. You're like, nah. Was, yeah. Nah. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was also very fun because that particular picture got us um, got us some very cool connections with other investigators that had been already investigating the ship because they were like wow we haven't seen anything like that what and so i think that picture has actually made it into three or four independent books about queen mary hauntings i I actually yeah I actually saw when I was at CVS the other night, I was looking at their Halloween aisle and they had a couple of books. And one of the books was The Ghosts of the RMS Queen Mary. And I was like, oh, nice. so help me if our picture in the, is in this book without permission, I am going to take action. Luckily, it was all um, like sketches. Um, uh-huh. But they had Stark in there. Oh, did they? Awesome. Yeah, they had his story in there. I didn't read it. I should have gotten it, but I was in a bad mood and I was like, mur, mur, mur. so I didn't get it. Also in that picture, or we're pretty is, sure. Yeah. Is, we're pretty sure. That's, yeah. that's that's who we have, that is who we have identified anyway as the other individual in the party in the mirror picture. And Stark was the second class officer at the time of well he was like the end end run of the wartime through 1948 if i remember right and he had an incredibly tragic death um he had gotten a cold and had no sense of taste or smell and ended up accidentally drinking what amounts to be dry cleaning fluid um one of the other crew members uh nabbed a bottle out of somebody's cabin that looked like a liquor bottle and it was not liquor inside the bottle it was this horrible cleaning fluid and he lived um about 48 hours on the ship afterwards and then unfortunately passed away at a stop um they took him off the ship, took him to the hospital against his will. He was a stubborn SOB. Was, um, is. Is still a stubborn SOB. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was his tragic story. But he is very much, um, this was actually fun because this was one of the first uh 
instances for me where I got to stretch my genealogy legs a little bit and do a little research and found that um, you mean Jamieology legs. Yeah. <laughs> and it was uh it was cool because his entire family was a seafaring family. So it was not surprising that he showed up to continue his work. And that's pretty much how he exists on the ship. But he also has a wicked sense of humor. And he likes to get people's goat. My first real um, interaction with Stark, <laughs> I blamed on Heather. I fully yeah, blamed on yeah, Heather. Yeah, yeah. I get blamed for everything. Well, we were at the pool, the first class pool. And I was setting up a ball and taping it with some painter's tape on the tile floor and marking it so that we would know if it moved. Um, we, we brought some toys for, for the kids to play with, basically. And as I'm bent over marking this ball, I feel like somebody took their foot and shoved it directly into my posterior side. And I went a stumble in <laughs> forward and Heather was to my right. And I turned around and gave her a really nasty look and was like, what the hell? And I said, she was okay laughing. <laughs> you, you all right there? You're going to make no, it? No, 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 no. You were laughing hysterically because you saw me lurch forward. And I went. Yeah, but I didn't know like, why. I wasn't. No, I didn't laugh hysterically until I realized that someone had pushed you. I was like, y'all right there? You're going to make it? Because you, you stumbled forward. And I was like, uh-oh. Uh, did you get whammied? What happened? You know, Because um, this is just when we were starting out. This was the very first yeah. official investigation on the ship. Yeah. And now to set the scene, this, inf this official investigation was really just more of a celebratory investigation put together by our mentor who had just gotten permission to get back on the ship as a paranormal investigator as opposed to one of the public. So this was a late night investigation, but sounds cool until you realize it's like 19 people on this investigation. We are not we are not going to catch anything significant. We'll be lucky if we do. That was the thought going into it. And so we were in the pool area, which was where we were completing the investigation for the night. And that's when you were marking the ball and you got pushed. But I thought you stumbled. Uh-uh. Nope. I got a solid shove. And along with the solid shove, and it's easier for me to look back on it now and go, yeah, that's exactly what was happening. Because I wasn't as aware at that point. But the feeling that came along with that was, <laughs> it was very <laughs> mischievous. Mm -hmm. It was proud of itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what made me turn around and point back at you and be like, what the hell, man? Because I expected something like that out of you. I wasn't expecting something like Which that. Which is so out weird of... because it like never even occurred to me, not ever on the planet would have have ever occurred to me. So shows you how well you know me. I that yeah. completely above my head. Like I would have never in a million years thought of to do that. So but well, I appreciate you're, you're it. A, you're a smart ass. So and yeah, Stark but not is like definitely that. a smart ass. Yeah, and it was he's hilarious way worse because than I am. We, 
we really had to, that was one that we, there, it was a bone of contention for a while because we also realized that Stark was responsible for making a really gruff growly noise under this little like cubby space in the pool. Well, and the way we realized that was we, you know, he was the Bob Davis, who was the man who set up the investigation and invited us. Um, he had had many interactions with both Jackie and uh, a ghost he was calling Grumpy. And so Grumpy was known to sort of exist under the stairs of the pool. And we didn't know who he was talking about. He didn't even know who he was talking about, which is why he called him Grumpy. Um, but then the story unfolded for us. Yeah, the, the further we kind of got into investigating and had the opportunity to go back multiple times and kind of do our, our line of questioning and feel it out, over time we started to realize, wait a second. Well, we asked straight is, up. Yeah, we asked, but we also, I think we also knew a little bit before that's how we knew to ask. Yeah. And you know, we got our answers, but this, this stinker, man, it's not just the growly, not just the pushing, but also had a, uh, a penchant for getting us up to the bridge of the ship just in time for the horn to blast, which seemed to be a thing that we were never freaking aware of when we were like at the top of an hour, like at the half hour and all of a sudden we get taken on this wild goose chase where we feel the energy and get zoomed through the ship. And now, we'd always end was, up. This was later on. This was not, you know, this was a couple years after we had been going to the ship regularly investigating. Yeah. You kind of get to know, first of all, I always tell people paranormal investigation, it's a gateway drug. So after a brief pause in the audio, I went back and checked in a little bit and realized that we, we did kind of leave off a, a little bit of what we experienced at the Queen Mary and not just at the Queen Mary, but in all of the places that we've investigated and have kind of checked out. And I think it's kind of an important step. And that is figuring out what kind of haunting or, or interaction that you're dealing with, really. And for the Queen Mary, it's a very cool situation because you have the ship itself, which the ship itself is, you know, it's, it's this big metal box, basically, that's floating in salt water. And so it is a huge superconductor of any type of energy. And that makes it a prime candidate for that kind of, um, you know, that, that portal slash vortex slash paranormal superhighway, which also includes not only its, its actual physical makeup, but the amount of history that it carries with it and the kind of transitional vessel, which I know Heather had some good points on that particular front. Do you want to explain that? Yeah. So the ship, you know, she was born out of a coming together, a forced coming together of two huge ocean liner companies. 
And that was as a result of the depression. So here you have these two competing energies trying to bang out another ship and the depression hits. They have to join together financially or disaster strikes for and them. We're talking about the Cunard and White Star lines, and which White Star were lines, yeah. huge, like these are, that is the business at that mm -hmm. point in time. And that's one of the reasons why I think historically the Queen Mary is so important to us because this is the last remnant, even though the Cunard line is, is still existing in some way, this is during its, its glory days and it's literally imprinted in its DNA the same way we carry the experiences of our ancestors this vessel is carrying the the imprint of these two giant factions coming together yeah and, and so not only that she was a transitional space she was designed to be a transitional space to ferry passengers to and from certain locations and then during her career she transitioned once more from a pleasure liner to a warship and not only are you talking about the transitional energy of conveying passengers and prisoners of war but you're talking about the transitional energy of war in general not just a war time but being painted gray to be a battleship completely different use and then after that she's reconverted into a an ocean liner and when she comes and she docks in Long Beach for her permanent mooring, they don't really know what to, to do with her. So part of her is a museum and part of her is what? A transitional space, a hotel. Yeah. And when you have theaters, hotels, planes, trains, anything that's moving back and forth or has a lot of people temporarily staying there, you get a buildup of energy. Absolutely. And, and we have discovered through that that the types of interactions we had on the Queen Mary really, really kind of floated the spectrum. And I think that is, again, one of those reasons why it will always be something that we like to talk about, always something that we like to return to, and a place that we'll always love to investigate in whatever way we can, because it opened you up to so many different types of experiences there was definitely things that would be considered residual meaning this is just kind of like a playback loop of an experience that had happened somewhere along its timeline to there is also intelligent experience so this is an entity or an energy that is directly communicating in real time, in real space, with with you or with its surroundings in some way. And we also found, and this is something that we've kind of come to a little later, is that there's also experiences that came together because of the collective um because of the collective investigating, because of the stories that we created and fed energy into, that there are certain entities that are more of a conglomerate of all of the energy that we have put into that thing. As in, we named it, we gave it a history, we gave it feeling, and 
it kind of begins to take a life of its own. And so that's another type of energy to be aware of as you are kind of feeling your way out through something like investigating or, or starting to get more in touch with that portion of you that is feeling into the paranormal and supernatural experiences is that there's different types of experiences to be had and they all have their own kind of individual flavor and the way that you interact with them is going to be different, but you'll, you'll kind of get your footing as you grow and learn more about how to deal with those individual instances. As long as you're open to the idea that not everything fits one formula. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I see the most with people who are curious and on the verge of dabbling in the paranormal is that their understanding is so limited and it remains limited with uh, fueled by their fear. Sure. If that makes sense. So they go in and they're not sure they want to have an experience, but they want to have an experience. And so they've kind of got one foot out the door. I remember investigating, man, these guys cheesed me off. Do you remember the guys from the Pasadena Playhouse investigation that we were stuck with? The Pasadena oh, Playhouse investigation yeah. was not ideal. It was... I would 10 out of 10 not recommend what we went through. Um, it w- There were a lot of people there that night. Again, it's the kind of thing where you you go to it because you'd like to experience the location, not necessarily because you're planning on getting great evidence. There's way too many people there. There's way too much stuff going on. It, they might as well have been performing a show that night. There were so many people there. That's how it felt. And we got stuck with these two idiots. <laughs> these guys were fucking morons. Not because they were unintelligent, but because they were so superstitious that everything they and had watched way too much ghost adventures. Way too much ghost adventures. And they were into they were too scared to provoke, but provoking is what they had seen on TV, so they were trying to do it. And it just created such a mess. And it created such a difficult energy to work in that it made the whole investigation just, why are we even here? We can't even experience the feeling of the pl- the location itself. It can't even be considered a good pre-investigation if we were to get a real investigation in this location because these guys just were in the way with their energy. They were scared. So anytime they asked something to happen, if something seemingly happened, they would freak out and practically run out of the room. <laughs> Everything was very dramatic. So dramatic. And I just I sat there and towards the end of the night I was like, you guys need to stop investigating. Like just stop. Just don't do it anymore. Please, for the rest of us, for all our sakes, you're going to bring something home with you that is going to enjoy messing with you. Because you're stirring things up and you don't know what you're dealing with. Because you have these preconceived notions that you're not ready to let go of. And then you are amplifying that energy and then you're afraid, which makes it say, hey, I can control this person. And I'd, I'd, I'd kind of like to put in my my own two cents about about that and about that kind of ghost TV. I I get it. I get it that 
it is entertainment that these channels and these shows exist for entertainment purposes, that it draws in a lot of crowds to channels that maybe wouldn't have had that kind of success had it not be for something that was so sensational. I understand that it's also a a window and a gateway and it's makes it exciting because a a lot of, I, I, I will be honest, a lot of investigating is really not that exciting on the surface level. It's, it doesn't necessarily make for great TV, but it depends on how you approach it. And I think for a lot of people, the the way to get people excited was to make it so over the top, was to make it very dramatic, was to make it very sensationalized. And that is fine for, to a certain extent, you know, especially where it's concerned of, you know, hooking people in and getting people's attention. That's fine. However, when you're stripping all of that stuff back and bringing it back to the importance of investigating on a whole and what that means for the individual on a spiritual level. Um, When you're sitting in that pocket of fear and you are moving through an investigation, sitting in that pocket of fear, you're creating a situation for yourself, just like Heather said, that it's not a good situation to be in. And as fun as it may be to watch some of those shows And we have met a lot of these people and their persona that they show on TV is not always the persona that they carry in, in real life. And some of them are very nice people and some of them are just, they are who they are. It's part of their personality. And I'm not dissing any of those shows except to say it's not a good model for investigating Um, because simply you're, you're, you're inviting things in to your personal space with the feeling and with like an attachment to the fear that is driving it. It's, it's just not a good place to be in because you are just further amplifying that as you go. When you do things like provoke, you kind of have to stop and ask yourself, you know, when you go into these places, you're basically in their home, you're in their space. Even if it's at at a home and it's a a home haunting situation, most likely these are the people who were here before the current owners got there. So it still was at one point their space. And so how would you feel if somebody came into your house, into your space? And started screaming and yelling at you and demanding of you to to act like a circus pony. <laughs> you know, it's that's that's not cool. And so we've never really subscribed to that kind of investigation. It's not our thing. If it's your thing, uh, you know, I I have we we both have our own feelings on that and <laughs> and I don't want to harp on it, but you know, good luck to you because that's it it generally just does not make for a a good situation but you know and it's also the same kind of energy um you know like i i worked in the metaphysical field for several years in a situation where i was getting people coming in and having face to face conversations on a daily basis and 
you know, people would come in wanting things to help them with things like curses. And although, although I, I get it to a certain extent, especially historically speaking, the thing is, nobody can mess with you unless you allow it. And that is what the fear pocket does. Sitting in that pocket of fear means I have something to be afraid of. I'm not protected. And you're opening yourself to that energy. You're allowing it to come in. You're inviting it to come in by putting yourself in a vulnerable space. So one of the first things that you have to do is realize that that nobody has access to you unless you open yourself up. And it's not always that you do that knowingly. Sometimes you're doing that, again, just out of being in a fearful state. Um, so one of the best things that you can do is just to reclaim your space, reclaim your own energy, reclaim your own personal power in any of those situations. So if you find yourself where you're experiencing something at home or you're experiencing something in the area where you spend a lot of time and you do feel fearful, kind of check in and do it. You know, I'm, I know that I'm afraid of this thing, but why am I afraid of it? Am I just afraid of it because I don't understand what it is and I don't know what it is. Do I think it's going to harm me? And then you kind of have to check in and go, well, has it harmed me so far? And how has it harmed me? You know, have I gotten a shove? Well, did it hurt me? No. Was it a little scary? Yeah. But for somebody who maybe can't communicate with you verbally or in a, you know, serious face-to-face -face manner, maybe something like shoving or making a sound or, you know, sometimes even the scratching is just a way of getting your attention, of getting a point across. And one thing that we determine also kind of in our in our course of investigating is that this is a very difficult thing to manifest for spirit to manifest in a way that is so super interactive you're talking about focusing energy and pushing through the the veil is kind of like we decided it was kind of like a membrane like a like a drum so Imagine trying to, you know, put your hand through something that's stretchy and kind of thick. It's malleable, but at the same time, it's hard to push through. It's hard to break through. And you're doing your best just, just to try to break through that wall. So, yeah, sometimes you're getting things like a shove or a push because it's this focused energy that's coming through that comes through in a spurt and it's not necessarily meaning to be menacing or malicious. It could it's just be just, an expression of frustration. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Usually exactly. it is an expression of frustration. Usually it is. I've tried so many ways to communicate and I don't know how to work this because I think the, I don't know for sure, of course, but I imagine that many spirits who are in the in-between 
um, are have a greater tie to being in the body than out mm -hmm. of the body. And so they're still trying to interact with this physical world as they did when they were in the physical world. But they don't have the limbs. They don't have the vocal cords. They don't have the tools that we have to do that. So they have to try and make that happen somehow. And I'm sure that there is probably a huge learning curve. And it requires often, it's kind of like figuring out how fast, how, how much pressure to apply to the gas pedal. How sensitive is it? Yeah, exactly. It's like learning to drive. And, you know, it's like, and, and as you kind of progress in your ability to pick up on more subtle energies, they have to work a lot less. And they are able to communicate in what feels like a much more intelligent and kind of holistic way. And you will start to notice a lot more. And but it but it's not scary anymore, because it's not such a huge event. And I think the other thing that people take for granted is you assume that if there's some sort of of haunting or interaction that you're interacting with, with a with a whole person with a whole spirit. And sometimes that's not even the case. A lot of times we found that you're really just working with a fragment of an individual. You're working with contend, a slice. I would contend you're always working with a fragment of an individual. I don't yeah. think there is a ghost out there that is a whole soul stuck in the in-between. I think these are shed, shedded, shedded <laughs> aspects that were shed by a person that now remain in that space. And sometimes they remain in that space, like our Instagram meme said. Sometimes spaces hold on to energies and sometimes energies hold on to spaces. And yeah. of course, we meant that when a space holds on to an energy, it's more of a residual thing, but not necessarily. Sometimes mm -mm. there's, you know, because we're dealing with fragments, who knows what's actually going on? But I can guarantee you that a lot of people, the thing I hear most when we talk about Jackie, because she's so young and, you know, she wants her dad and she wants her mom, people get really sad for her that she's stuck in that space. And they think of her holistically like you would a child. But it's not the entirety of who Jackie was. Jackie is many beings on this planet. And this is just one aspect of the being that she was known as Jackie. And it's not the whole, it's not the whole energy of that lifetime. It's just a five-year-old fragment of that lifetime. That most and likely so, really love being there because most of the time she is so jovial and play-like and she enjoys the time that she spends on the ship, you can tell it in the recordings, you can tell it in the feeling that you get when you're mm -hmm. there. It's, it's never really a sad feeling. It's never a feeling like, you know, I'm afraid. It's, it's one of adventure and exploring and wonder and playfulness. It's very playful. It's a very, very playful energy. But you'll find things like that over and over again, where, you know, and especially I think most of the time it's it's centered around, um, you know, instances where it's supposed to be a, a younger individual and, and people will often want to try to help cross over. And that, that may, you know, apply in some rare instances. But for the most part, I think it's, 
it's better just to understand why why that particular energy is sitting in that space. What is it there for? What is it trying to teach us? What does it want us to know? Um, you know, what does it want us to know about it? You know, is there a story to tell? Is there a viewpoint to change? Is there a perspective to be gained? And um, that's always something to keep in mind, no matter where you go. And something that something that just came in about that is that the reason so many, I mean, you just said it, the reason so many people want to try and cross these spirits over is because we think of them as being in distress and needing help. But a cr crossing over is not going to work unless that energy is aided in releasing the reason it's stuck there in the first place. Mm -hmm. If the purpose is taken away from the being for being there, then the being will no longer choose to stay there. Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, if someone just comes in with their ego at the forefront is like, I'm going to move on this spirit and I'm going to cross them over and they're going to be at peace. Um, I don't really think that that's ever going to work, not in any permanent fashion, because everything happens for a reason. These entities are in these spaces for a reason. And until that story is discovered, you're crossing over. You're just doing that out of ego. You're doing that to make yourself feel better. But it really doesn't have much to do with helping. Exactly. And and really it's just like anything else. You you can't even <laughs> even spirit, you you cannot make it do something that it does not want to do. It's it's gotta want help. Mm -hmm. And most often it will ask for your help pretty plainly mm -hmm. if it needs help. <laughs> and then by all means, you know do whatever you feel is is correct for you in that moment but very often we kind of confuse what is actually going on in a space or with a particular spirit or entity and it's by kind of slowing down and opening yourself up a little bit more and instead of going right to either the fear place or the um you know fix it i want to fix it and it's like well there might not be anything broken so well and the interesting thing about both of those situations is that they're i centered they're me centered mm -hmm. they're i'm afraid so i'm going to behave this way or i feel that they shouldn't be here so i'm going to move them on it's mm -hmm. not always about you <laughs> yeah if you have come to these spaces to interact with these energies you have come with a handshake yeah. to interact with, not on behalf of, not just for you, but it is a handshake. And if they think that you're worthy of interacting with, then you are in now a different kind of conversation. Just as if this person were embodied in front of you, you may be using different tools to communicate with them. And you may be having a more difficult time understanding the message so it might take more investigation which is where the paranormal investigation comes in for us 
but you're still having a conversation. You're still having a two-sided, two-way interaction. And that's yeah. something that really needs to be respected. And when you go into a place provoking and, and, and guided by your own fear or guided by a well-intended desire to release this entity from its prison, is, if that's how you're looking at it, you're creating a narrative on behalf of another soul. Yeah. Instead of allowing that soul to have its own narrative and giving it the respect that, it, that it's due. They're having an experience that a, as we are embodied, we cannot relate to. So I see it as our job and our privilege to understand what they're experiencing from their point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's really the point for us altogether is to have that opportunity to interact with something that has something to teach us in a very unusual way and in a way that helps us grow in in our gifts and in our ability to pick up on the subtle energies. And that's you know, always something to keep in mind anytime you you want to investigate is just to be open to whatever is there. And if you feel yourself kind of, you know, getting spooked or and and I mean, and that's natural. We've had moments where we're like, oh fuck no. Like this, <laughs> this place is just an absolute no. Yeah. And and it's normal to have you know, we're not always Zen about it in the moment, but we've also learned not to let that run away, you know, and, and get carried away with it either. We'll, we'll allow ourselves the moment of, oh, fuck no. And then we go, okay, but, but let's really kind of, you know, sit down here for a second and figure out what this is before we get too carried away with the emotion of, you know, of, of being freaked out. And that's just something that you learn over time. But I think there's there's so many examples out there of people who just, they go in and that's what they've seen on, on TV. So they think that that's the best course of action. And we're just saying, you know, there, there are other ways to do it. And um, it's especially when you're just starting out and, and dipping your feet into it, it's, it's best not to, you know, just be respectful, just like you would with anything else. Just be respectful, be a respectful human being and, and interact the way you would want somebody else to interact with you. <laughs> Even if they're kind of coming at you a little bit, claim your space, claim your space. If it's making you feel uncomfortable, Hey, I hear you. I see you, but I don't, I don't play that way. So Either you're going to, well, you know, interact with me, you know, or I'm, I'm just not here for that kind of energy. And how I, fitting I, is it? How yeah. fitting is it that the lesson that we learn by interacting with the living is the same lesson that we learn by interacting with the dead, which is mm -hmm. it's all about setting your boundaries. Mm -hmm. If you are weak in the skill of setting boundaries with the living, don't go hunting down the dead unless you plan on working on that yeah, scale they, they will they will push you they will op they will find that button and they will press it for you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah man we've had so many incredible experiences 
And the Queen Mary, I think, will always be, again, our go-to because it's so vast. The kinds of experiences that you have are just endless and, and it is consistent. But we've had some other fun experiences too. And some are really unexpected. Like who expects to be pegged in the back with something off of a rack in Michael's. <laughs> right. And we've had that experience. Well, and it Jamie was hilarious. Has. Jamie has, because if there's a chance to hit her in the back, apparently it's going to be taken <laughs> by spirit. I don't know why, <laughs> but hanging out on the aisle. I don't Oh, we were looking for, um, we were trying to recreate this fairy jar that Jamie had found on Pinterest. And of course it's, uh, which is a, a lie, lie, by the it's way. It's a lie. It's a lie. Um, but yeah, I literally saw this. What was it that hit you? Was it a pumpkin? It was around Halloween time. So it was it either. It was like a package of foam things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, was, it wasn't It was heavy or anything. It was just a no. light package, like one of those vacuum-formed packs with the cardboard back. And it lifted up off the peg and flew at Jamie with her back turned and hit her in the back. It hit me in the back. And and again, that was one of those instances where in the moment I was like, what the actual hell? Like, what the hell? But she didn't blame me this time. No, because because of you, you were actually facing me and saw what happened behind me and could confirm that, yeah, the thing lifted off of the display and and flew and hit me. But, you know, that's another one of those perfect opportunities where it would have been really easy to completely freak out and go run screaming and be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this thing. this And it's like, look, if a four-year-old had picked that up and threw it at me, I would have been like, you little sneaky bastard. <laughs> but <laughs> it didn't kill me. Like, you know, it didn't hurt me. It was just trying to get my attention, ultimately. And not my attention. It got all of our attention. It was, it was, I think Brian had walked to the aisle like next to us and came back over and we were both dumbfounded, like going, oh, and then we were explaining to him what happened. And the best part, this is the absolute best part. The best part is that while we're standing there explaining what happened to Brian, one of the Michaels workers kind of goes by in his little apron and his little headset and without skipping a beat kind of whips his head around and goes yeah it's haunted and then keeps walking <laughs> and we were just we were so dumbfounded by what had just happened and he and hadn't even he, seen he hadn't even seen no. what had gone on he wasn't on the no. aisle when it happened so he knew just by our expressions what had gone down that's yeah. how common it was which completely intrigued all of us and and i made i I don't know if I want to say it's a mistake because it was ultimately a really funny situation, but I had probably one of the funniest interactions with the Michael, um, with the Michael's store manager ever uh, via email and then via phone because she was so confused as to what I was trying to tell her. Um, I actually reached out because I wanted to investigate the store, of course, it's like, hey, let us come in as you're closing and like set up a few things and like check this out and figure out who's haunting you. And so I emailed and told them that about my experience about being hit by the thing in the back and this package off of this rack. And she was, of course, 
seriously, uh, you know, seriously concerned and also overwhelmed and dumbfounded at what was happening and really didn't understand at all what I was trying to tell her. And so I was on the phone with her and she kept apologizing for something having hit me. I wanted to make sure that I was okay. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. You don't understand. I'm fine. Like, I'm not going to sue Michaels. There is, you know, there's, there's no thing that's going to, you know, happen to you legally here. I just want to know if I can bring a couple things of equipment into your store and try to figure out what this was. And she was just so not in a mental space to, to understand the situation at all that I, I literally, I could hear, I could hear her like slowly having a bit of a breakdown like as we were talking, it's like you know, it's it's okay. <laughs> Just never mind. Um, everything's fine. Forget Have a wonderful anything. rest of your day. <laughs> 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 but to the same, like I've been in that Michael's. Oh God, you know, hundreds of times since then. I'm sure, and I've never had an experience like like quite like that again. But it does continue to feel like there's something there. Um. But yeah, just one of the most, that's probably the funniest and most bizarre experience that we had ever had. Mm. But um, I think mostly we're, we used to do house investigations and we learned really quickly that, that we did not want to get saddled with cleaning up other people's messes because very often that's what it ended up being is just either stagnant energy where people just weren't taking care of their stuff. By the way, here's my tip. If you move into a new location and you don't do your unpacking or you're getting rid of stuff that you no longer use within the first six months, expect in that six month to a year point that you will have some sort of paranormal activity happen. I can almost guarantee it. Because stagnant energy will continue to grow and multiply the the longer that it has it's it's like it's um it's kind of like it's it's growing and it's uh what's a good word for that it's like it's almost like fermentation it's a petri dish yeah it's like a, yeah it's like a petri dish it's multiplying the thing is is that if you are taking uncurated stuff let's say you're you're lazy in the move and you have a junk drawer and you don't feel like sorting through all of it because time is pressing and you just transfer the entire contents of that junk drawer that you haven't looked at since you know 2000 into a box labeled junk drawer and it sits in your kitchen and never finds a home that is an example of stagnant energy you don't need all that stuff you haven't looked at it in 20 years and it's sitting there, but it still has the energy of when it was useful attached to it and whatever was going on when that paperclip, as insane as it sounds, that dried up highlighter, <laughs> all those things, at the very least, you're going to have a more difficult time unpacking. Yeah. For On an obvious level, no one wants to deal with the dried up highlighter and sort through the hairy paper clips. How did they get hairy? We don't know. It's a junk drawer. Weird things happen in junk drawers. But on a more esoteric level, what you're dealing with there is you're dealing with the mortar 
that keeps all of the bricks that you want to move in place. Yeah. And so yeah. you have enough boxes of stuff that you took with you because you didn't you didn't have time or didn't want to sort through them before moving into the new location. It's like cross-contamination. It's like hybridization. You're creating a new energy with an old energy. And there's no telling what kind of magic can occur as a result. It's going to manifest in whatever way it needs to manifest in order to capture your attention. And sometimes right. that is just a matter of continuing to grow until you can no longer ignore it. Mm -hmm. And very often these will be, you know, a, a junk drawer, a, a basement, a garage, a quote unquote spare bedroom or junk room. Former you storage know. unit. And, and people will often, you know, close a door, shut a door and never want to go in there or feel very heavy or depressed or feel anxious when they go anywhere near it and it's like well of course because this is holding the energy of the things that you have not yet released that you need to release in order to move forward this is the shackle around your ankle and every time you walk past it it's going to remind you that this is the shackle around your ankle right. um you know so and and that's my two cents on on that and, and sometimes that stuff gets left behind, you know, sometimes if you move into a house and people didn't move, the people that were there before didn't move all of their things out. Now you're combining your things with their things. And now you have this whole other thing that's been created. And, and often this is where you'll find stuff like, you know, people talk about things like poltergeists. And it's like, this is just, this is energy that, that doesn't have a place to go. It doesn't have... You know, uh, it, it doesn't have a way to really, truly be useful. So it's just kind of manifesting in whatever erratic way it knows how. And mostly that's by stacking things and throwing No things. stacking. No stacking. <laughs> no stacking. <laughs> we all have our paranormal no-nos and mine is stacking. If I see We're things getting stacked, I'm out of there. I'm not ever coming back. Burn it down. We're, Burn it we're down. In a, we're in a no stack zone. <laughs> we are in a no stack zone. I had a friend and her her creep out moment was um, uh, eyes, glowing eyes. Mm. I had another well, friend and her creep out thing was dolls. I mean, that's a classic, right? Sure. But mine is stacking. No, 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 no. You can organize. Clowns. Yeah, I, yours is clowns. Yeah, mine yeah. are clowns. I don't do you clowns. You can organize, Sorry about it. but you can't stack. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to organize, go right ahead. Let me write up a list for you. And By I, all I will means. gladly take that help, but do not stack. No, nope. no. Mm -mm. No stacking. Don't stack and don't throw. We don't throw in this house. Thank you very much. I um, had to uh, adios a ghost that was in my house because it threw a ceiling fan blade at me. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Remember it it that. actually... I can't say it threw it at me. It was clearly trying to get my attention. What happened was yeah. I went uh, – when I had my little dog and she needed to go out to the yard to do her business, we always went through the back bedroom. And this one day she needed to go out, so I let her out. And while I was standing there in the doorway, I hear a very loud splack behind me. 
And I turn around and I'm like, what the hell? And I look down on the floor and there is a fan blade laying right maybe 10 inches away from my ankles. And I was like, it took me a moment to try and process what had happened. But when I did, I realized that what had happened, the only thing that could have happened, because the only sound I heard was the splack of the blade landing, which mm -hmm. meant it landed flat. It landed on the, the flat surface, not on the corner, not on the edge. It landed flat. That thing not only landed flat, but it landed dust side up. So it still, when it came off the armature, it had like a, uh, uh, you know, the armature um, uh, pattern mm -hmm. on it, the little metal arm. Mm -hmm. uh, it landed dust side up. So it didn't have that pattern, <laughs> which means that the only way it could have come off the fan, which was off at the time, was to lift up off the armature, levitate over behind me, and drop down. Straight down. Straight down on the flat side. It couldn't have fallen off, like maybe suddenly become loose and fallen off on its end and then fallen over. I was too far away for that, one, and B – there was no sound. There was only that splack sound that got me, startled me. And I was in, I had to go away. May came in and she sniffed it. <laughs> she was like, hmm, what's this? Oh, okay, moving on. Runs out of the room and I'm like, well, I guess we're, I guess we're done now. And I left it right where it was because I, it was so, the day was so mundane. The activity that I was in was so mundane that my brain could not process both a mundane trip to take May out to the yard as well as something moving and landing behind me. Those two things were too desperate to process together. So I left everything right where it was. I closed up the door. I closed the bedroom door and I thought about it. And I must have thought about it, well, until evening. And I was like, wait a second. Whatever is in my house, whoever is in my house was obviously trying to get my attention. But what am I okay with in terms of them getting my attention? Decidedly, it was not having things thrown in my own house. So that night, I went into the back bedroom and I opened the door. May came with me because she came everywhere with me. And she was like, what are we doing? <laughs> and she didn't quite understand what was going on. So she sat next to me and I stood and I said, whoever is in here that tried to get my attention today by throwing a fan blade at me, you have to leave. That is unacceptable. If I do not know who you are and you are not a loved one trying to send me a message, you need to get out right now. And swear to God, if the dog had not been by me, I would not have believed it. This rush of wind came by me and you could literally hear whatever it was leaving. I sent it out to the door and I told it it could leave through the back corner of the yard because apparently that's a portal. I don't know why, but that's a portal. That's where I send everything now to leave. And it did. It left. And the reason I know it wasn't me making it up is because both May and I turned our heads and followed it at the same time. And then she ran after it and barked. <laughs> and stay out. <laughs> yeah, and right there, there's, there's a perfect example of setting your boundaries. You yeah. don't have to work with any kind of energy that you don't want to work with. And it doesn't mean that you never have to work with that energy. If you decide to work with that energy later, fine, so be it. 
you open up to it again, but you get to make the decisions about what kind of energy you want to play with and what energy you do not want to play with. And you get to set those parameters and those boundaries. And it can be as simple as, I don't want to work with any energies that are not healed and well. Mm -hmm. You know, I only want to work with the things that are for my greatest and highest good and understand that if something comes through, that feels a little... Um, you know, a little more creepy, a little more dangerous. If you have set that perimeter, that means that, hey, there's something that you need to work on that's centered around that. And that's either your perspective or there's some sort of traumatic event that this is triggering or, you know, fill in the blank. There's something like that going on that, that you need to pay attention to. And if you're not ready for it, then you make the caveat of, okay, I know what I said, but I'm not ready for this energy right now. And I don't want to work with it. So time to move along until I'm ready for you. And mm -hmm. it can be as simple as that. It, you know, you can create a ritual for yourself if that feels more comfortable, if that, if you feel like that's something that you need, but you, it's not necessary. And I think people get caught up on it because they're like, well, I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, just say it, say it out loud, mm -hmm. write it down. If you can't say it out loud, write it down. And it's like, well, what's that going to do? It's, it's putting your wishes out there. It's putting, it's, it's giving you some type of voice, some way of communicating your wishes. You know, it's, and it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. Right. And that's a huge thing too in investigating. And I think, again, kind of goes back to the, not everything needs to be so blown up and dramatic or, ceremonial it 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 can be but it doesn't have to be that's just one way of doing it um but yeah I, it, when i stop to think about all of the cool places that we've been you know and again we after kind of doing some of that like household investigation and realizing that that was not the thing what we really realized we were interested in are historical spaces Mm -hmm. um you know spaces that have the feels that have the energy that have you know ushered many different types of energies through it and those stories. are the things and stories and those are the, the things that that tend to draw us in and we like to discover and uncover those stories and relate them the best we can to others and i think now there is sort of a renaissance for us with the paranormal investigation. It doesn't look the way it once did. It doesn't look the way it does on TV anymore for us because of how we've evolved spiritually within ourselves. It's drawing us back to certain proclivities we had from a very young age that attracted mm -hmm. us to the spiritual world to begin with. And it's starting to manifest a new... How do I put it? A new, I don't know a how to say it. A new investigative style, a new way of approaching. A new, a new intention. A new intention. There you I go. mean, yes, all of that is going to change, but the intention behind why we're doing it is changing. I've always had a fascination, not only with spaces. I've been very, since a very young age, I've been able to pick out spaces that have what I now know is activity. I didn't know it then. I just knew that the space was, it felt like the space was speaking to me mm -hmm. and I didn't have the words 
or the language to communicate that, even to myself. I just knew that something was going on. The Queen Mary was the first, one of the first ones to do that when I visited her when I was really little. Um, but also, I have always had a huge respect and a passion for not just history, but the individuals who created and manifested into this 3D world. What, what did they bring to it? Mm-hmm. And there's no better way to really get an idea of what they brought to it than by talking to them directly. <laughs> yeah. And that's really why I I like speaking with the dead. That's why I'm interested in ghosts. That's because they were here before me doing things. And I want to know from their perspective. I want to know how it felt. I want to know what they made. I want to know what's still important to them. What's so important to them that it holds them here? Whether it's personal in terms of something that happened to them that they haven't healed or whether it's they created something so amazing that they don't want to let go of that creation and that's what keeps them here. That's what motivates me when I interact with the dead. And honestly, that gives us fabulous insights into how to deal with our own fragments of self that have Mm -hmm. experienced things previously in different timelines. Um, You know, it's, it's a way of getting comfortable with that kind of conversation outside of yourself a little bit so that when you do come into contact with that fragment of yourself, you know a little better how to interact with it because it's basically the same process that you would do with any other spirit. Mm -hmm. It's just a fragment of your own spirit. So everything will connect back to the self eventually. But in the meanwhile, it's also a really fun ride. It's a really fun invest. How do you, how do you say that word? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to get caught up again. It's it's just a cool way to investigate yourself in a different way through another energy that is kind of again reflecting back to you maybe something that that you need to know about yourself or something need to, mm-hmm. that you need to know about your own healing journey and because that's how resonance works because yeah. if you are if you are interacting or experiencing interactions with entities that you did not consciously seek out, it's because their experience is similar enough to something that you are experiencing, maybe working through or maybe need to work through in order to create a resonance between you that lessens the distance in frequency between you to -hmm. the degree where you can now interact with this being that is no longer embodied. And it was really interesting as you're saying that, and I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of getting another hit from the guides to say, you know, this is also a reason why usually the confrontational uh, way of doing things isn't such a fabulous idea. Um, Because very often what you'll see in someone who does this on a consistent basis is that they end up, um, they end up with some sort of physical illness. Usually Mm -hmm. they'll end up with some sort of physical malady, some sort of um, like an anxiety or digestive issue or breathing problems, breathing problems, things like that. And, 
And that's mostly because, you know, something is being reflected back to them that maybe they need to work on within themselves. And instead of taking more of an observation type of a cue and standing back and trying to kind of like figure the situation out, they're being super confrontational right up front and combating it and resisting it. Resisting it. That's the key right there. Resisting it. And the body is going to throw up signs that say, don't resist that. Right. And a lot of way that comes through in, in things that we won't resist, like an illness, mm-hmm. you know, little, the little nudges we can push out, you know, that's, that's like, eh, okay, well, I'll, I'll pay attention to that another day. But, you know, if you can't keep food down for a week, or all of a sudden you have a massive asthma attack, or, you know, that's something that's going to stop you in your tracks exactly where you stand and make you take notice. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that's, that's the reason why things like that happen. So again, you know, when something like that comes up, if that's your first inclination, maybe stop for a minute and ask yourself why, why is that your first inclination? Why is that your go-to? Or are you just doing it because that's what you've watched and that's what you've seen and that's what you actually feel or, are you know, are you doing it simply because you're afraid or, you know, what, what is the actual situation? Take stock of the moment and, and where you are and how you're doing and what your safety level actually is. If you have not been harmed, then maybe you need to rethink your actions and your style and how you're going about it and maybe set boundaries before you take that step. And frame how you're going to work on that you know if you set a boundary that says i'm not ready to hear this yet i don't want to interact with you yet you might still get nudges to interact because that's your next step but it's not going to be it's not going to be so rough on you you know or at least that's that's my finding so i don't know how better yet Once you realize why you're reacting to something the way you are, take it a step further and ask yourself, what do I want out of this interaction? Mm -hmm. If this is my next step, what do I want it to look like? And try and go from there. What do I actually want to know? Yeah, or experience or feel or learn. What do I want? Nine times out of 10, people cannot answer that question regardless of what they're asking it about. So if you start asking that question and you start training yourself to come from a point of view of, I want this thing, I want to experience this, I want to learn this, you will be miles ahead of everyone else Mm -hmm. and certainly miles ahead in your own personal development. Yeah. And, and some experiences that you'll have along the way are not going to feel um, necessarily comfortable. What, what you would, think as comfortable or as uh, as a friendly interaction. One of the places that we investigated that honestly, I, I don't think, I think our lesson was learned and I don't think we'll ever need to go back there is the Linda Vista hospital <laughs> to this day. If I am driving past Boyle Heights on the freeway, I don't even have to see the signs. My body knows that that is where we're at. And my whole body goes, no, thank you. I don't have to do that again. Um, 
there was so much trapped in that space as far as, you know, it, it had a very varied history. This is a location, a, a hospital that was built by the railroad for railroad workers at the turn of the century. So, you know, initially its life was, you know, taking care of people who, who had some pretty big health issues from the type of work that they were doing. And from there it transitioned to, let's see it. I want to say it continued operating into the early nineties as far as not a full hospital, but they were still taking like office visits on a couple of the floors and things like that. But the, I think from maybe the late eighties, most of the um, hospital had kind of, shut down for for most purposes other than the occasional office visits but up until then there there was a section of time where it was a hospital for people that didn't have insurance so it was seeing a lot of uh like street violence victims and and things of that nature so the hospital itself carried a lot of you know very sad energy very um you know hurtful situations traumatic events and when you step into a place like that you know you're dealing with people who had had traumatic events so if you're new to feeling out spaces and picking up on subtle energies and you're working on developing your gifts don't be surprised if you feel something like a sharp pain in your chest or a sharp pain in your head or an instant migraine or your throat closing or, you know, a, a sudden pain come on of some sort, because what we have found, especially in places like um, like medical facilities, is this is a place where people experience medical situations. So they're going to speak to you in that way. They're going to show you what they were experiencing while they were there. They're going to walk you through that traumatic event. And often walking you through that traumatic event feels like somebody reaching in through your chest and squeezing your heart like a heart attack. I mean, what else, what else is trauma going to feel like but trauma? Right. So, <laughs> you know, but generally, even even in those moments, take a moment to ask yourself, is this mine? Is this my energy that I'm feeling or is this someone else's energy? And then you kind of start to distance yourself from it. And very often, it only lasts for a few seconds. Now, going through a series of an evening where you're experiencing this over and over and over again, it wears you out. And it really doesn't matter how much you prep. That's a lot of energy coming in and out. That's a lot of energy being experienced. And you can work on grounding yourself and kind of taking yourself through little exercises throughout the night to release what's coming in. But it's, it's still going to knock you on your keister. And I think for both of us, like for me, it, it took me a good three weeks. And I was not as practiced with dealing with the energy as I am now. But I was also not as sensitive to the energy then as I am now either. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would think that it would probably hit me about the same way, if maybe not a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. Just because 
I I am much more practiced in picking up the the subtle energies now. Um, so again, yeah, something to think of when you're going out on trips like this or looking for places to investigate. And and honestly, if you're in the Southern California area, I think one of the best places that we could recommend uh, that's, I mean, just pretty easy to access on a whole is Pasadena. Because yeah. Pasadena has quite a a varied history of its own. And unlike most places uh, in the greater Los Angeles area, Pasadena has been really good at holding on to their history and incorporating it into their, their modern daily operations. So you will see buildings from the 1890s next to modern buildings, or you will see modern businesses inhabiting buildings from the 1890s. So there is an interesting flux of, of energy pretty much all the way around. And that's another place that I don't think is ever disappointed for us and disappointing for us because it's, it's history is rich, although uh, a little doctored because the people <laughs> places, of Pasadena, yeah. a little yeah. the people of Pasadena tend to not like to admit that, that they have, paranormal activity um or really negative history or negative history altogether yeah. yeah but you know they were a big financial center for a lot of the early transactions and dealings i mean there were multiple banks <laughs> in a many very banks. small amount of space and many heavy hitters in the banking world kind of becoming a part of that and funneling money to to other places, uh, especially like San Francisco. They did mm -hmm. a lot of dealings with San Francisco. And, you know, at the time that, you know, gold and silver was still being processed in, in much of California. And they were seeing a lot of the benefits and dealing with other places across the Midwest and the East Coast and kind of being that in-between of, uh, of exchanging business deals and money and things like that so yeah you had a lot of nefarious creatures that were coming in and and trying to shake things up i mean the wild wild west was still the wild wild west until you know 20s yeah not too far into the uh, turn of the century so you have all of that all of that imprinted in this it still space. it still lives there it just flat yeah. out still lives there the pasadena is um it's like time folding back in on itself over and over and over again it's like a ribbon candy and um people ask me when i'm doing tours they're like dude so what are the most haunted places i'm like everything Pasadena is haunted. Like <laughs> you never know what you're going to run into where there are uh, certainly epicenters of concentration. Pick up a rock and throw it, or right, brick. You are, yeah, <laughs> a brick. Oh no, nice, nicely done, nicely done. One of our one of our favorite experiences in Pasadena was several years ago uh, investigating portion of what is known as the quote-unquote catacombs of Pasadena. And um, we can always tell where the 
pockets of that era exist because you can see it in the brick around mm-hmm. the city. Uh, a, a certain, there's a very particular style of brick that was used when those things were being built. And, and it's become easier and easier for us to spot it. But we did an investigation where uh, there's actually a, a group that had a haunt that was doing a hunt for the Halloween season and opened it up to, to tours. And we were just very curious and wanted to see what it was about and went down there. And yeah, we had some, we had some bricks. It wasn't really a tour. It was, we'll let you in and you can do what you want for three or four hours. Yeah. It was because, because this space still has tours um, for the new group who owns it, but it's, you're not alone you're not left to your own devices it's an actual tour uh where they tell you things um but what we did was an actual investigation and and for sure very very active location yeah we had um we had kind of took to a particular corner of this basement type area below a building that was the union so the Union National Bank? Union Bank building. The Union Bank building. And in this area, there were the, the two vaults that still exist. And we got to spend time inside the vaults. But uh, the kind of front corner of the building ended up being the hot spot for us. We kind of sat ourselves in a pattern where we were all spaced out and could watch basically all of our perimeters. So we had all of our, our bases kind of covered and we started hearing first what sounded like little pieces of brick either falling near Stone, us. Being pebbles. Checked near us. Yeah, stones, pebbles. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it didn't take us too long to figure out it was brick because there were pieces of the brick because it's, it's old. Um, right. But, you know, and then the sounds got closer and then we started actually feeling them whiz by us. Yeah. And it's like, okay, these are getting progressively close and bigger pieces. It's like the, Much bigger, the, yeah. the more we were kind of going, uh, we think something is actually happening here. The more it was willing to like step up its game and, and interact more. And we had set up a couple of recorders and found that we had one of our recorders knocked off the ledge at the end of the night sitting yes. on at the end of the night. And the thing that we thought was really interesting was on the other recorders that did not fall, you could hear the recorder falling and it wasn't just First of all, it was fairly secure on its ledge. So well, it had been it had been hanging out there no problem for three hours. Yeah. So so it's not like you know nothing had become loose underneath it. Like the brick that it was on didn't fall. Uh, it hadn't been bumped or or moved in any way. But you could hear you could hear the fumbling around 
Like, well, like here's the had- thing. Here's here, Go ahead. stop. Here's the thing. So at the end of the night, we're we've been hearing the sound of brick ricocheting off of walls and metal. And then at the end of the night, we hear something fall to the floor, but it doesn't sound like the brick. It sounds softer than the brick. And it took us a minute to realize that it was the recorder. The recorder happened to have like a leather case around it. So when it hit the floor, it didn't sound hard at all. Um, But when it hit the floor, you can hear on the other two recorders that didn't move that it started playing back what we recorded that night. And that was what confused us so much is because you could hear our voices talking to us and we were like, what is happening? Oh, it's the recorder. Okay. (laughs) It's the recorder. We got it. We take the recorders home to listen for evidence. And when I get to the end of the other recorders, uh, I hear what I expected to hear, which was that other recorder falling off the ledge or being pushed off the ledge as it turned out to be. Uh, and starting playback. However, when you listen to the very end of the recorder that was pushed off the ledge, what you hear quite startlingly is someone fumbling with it like a finger near the microphone trying to turn it off. And that's the last thing you hear. You do not hear it moving from the ledge. You do not hear it landing on the ground. You hear nothing after shush, 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 shush of a finger. So. Yeah. What happened was the recorder was turned off prior to hitting the ground. Prior to falling off the ledge, something had turned the recorder off, and there was no one around who could have done it. We were all in that area. So we would have known, we would have noticed if someone were there messing with the equipment. And that was kind of the the cherry on top. (laughs) Yeah. But the feel... Just the feel of the place. Some places you walk into and it takes a little bit for things to kind of ramp up and begin and like unveil itself to you or reveal itself to you. In Pasadena, you just walk into it. It's like, hey, you're in you're in our house. You're in our territory yeah. and here we are. And if you're sensitive to it, you'll know it immediately. And that's really the kind of, those are the kind of places that we're looking for nowadays. I think we're, we're looking for places that already have a vibe that already have a feel for it, that are already kind of emanating this, this energy that we're able to pick up on. We want to be in a place that, that resonates with us in a way that, um, is, is triggering our, our further progression in this area, our our further growth that's helping us to learn how to investigate in new ways and how to help others investigate in new ways and how to look at these spaces differently and maybe create some tools or use some resources in ways that maybe they hadn't previously. And that's kind of the exciting part for us is to take the the combination of what we have learned previously and and the work that we have done as individuals and help shift that into kind of a new a new era of investigating and in a, in a way that that brings in that that self investigation that that helps us turn more inward when we're looking at a, a space 
or a place or a spirit in particular and and teaching us better how to interact and and gain more insight in that way and i think uh i think that's yeah that's what we're most excited to do next in this particular field yeah that's what we're moving towards i don't know how it's going to manifest yet but something is coming opportunities are coming whenever we talk about this i feel it and i'm curious as to what they are yeah can we have them now please (laughs) (laughs) please now invite me into your space that as as here's the thing as the space helps us heal ourselves our goal is to help the space heal itself help it to release whatever it's containing to better quiet it and make it available to moving past its history to really in- integrate yeah to integrate, integrate. Every, to integrate everything that that the space has been through mm-hmm. to help it move forward because often you know, I, I think one thing that we've learned over the last several years is as we start to revisit all of these things that are coming back up for ourselves, all of these things that are kind of like the, the, our, our own residual haunting, our personal residual haunting, these traumatic events or these karmic events or however you want to refer to it that keep playing back on loop that we're experiencing again and again and again these spaces hold that same type of loop energy. And as we're healing more as a collective and accepting more of the work of moving through that, then it starts to become that these places don't have a need to hold those traumatic triggers anymore. And when we step back into them, we're just going to continue to trigger that trigger. But this is a way of once we can recognize it in ourselves, then we can recognize it in other places and go, okay, so if if this is energy that is ready to be released from this space, then not so much a crossing it over telling it to go, but mm-hmm. more allowing its own healing to take place and holding right. space for that healing to take place if right. it needs to, if it's the right time. Right. Um, and therefore no longer making it a trigger when it doesn't need to be, or at least allowing a new step in its own evolution uh you know a a new path a new journey a new it's you know its own spiritual renaissance of sorts yeah and i really think that this is key for places that are looking to um whose agenda is for adaptive reuse mm-hmm. this is going to be big i mean a lot of people feel called to buy these historic buildings but then have a very difficult time turning them into something new. And I think that that if if that is happening, there is a way through that, but it's probably not through ghost tours. (laughs) Inviting all of these different people with their transitional energies into your transitional space is probably not going to help heal it. It's probably going to escalate things. So our goal 
is instead of escalating things or just using a space to prove to ourselves that something's real, our goal is to go into a space and help it heal itself, help harmonize it, help everything sort of mesh and integrate together. And really give it an opportunity to create new memories and new situations and new opportunities to bring people together. And that doesn't mean that you need to strip it of its history. It simply means just releasing the, the old energy that it has. Cleaning out the junk drawer. Cleaning out the junk drawer and integrating all of those things. It's never about getting rid of, it's about integrating. And Mm -hmm. when we say healed, healed doesn't mean getting rid of, healed means integrating all of those events so that it's no longer the thing that's kind of sticking out in the forefront that's waving the flag and say, notice me, notice me, notice me. It's now integrated into the story next to all of the happy times, all of the joyous times, all of the non-traumatic events so that what you're seeing is a much bigger picture and you're understanding that just because a building is quote unquote haunted, it doesn't mean that it's just carrying something sad or dark you know, it, it's also carrying, you know, energy of wonderful, happy times, too. And I think it's, you it know, helps to equalize the levels. Yeah, it and, and just, you know, bring balance all together. And then people who enter that space are going to feel more balanced when they're there as well. And will be more open to feeling all of the sides of the history, not just the things that feel more sensational or, you know, that are there to kind of capture your attention. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like we did the thing. What do you feel? We really did the thing. We've done the thing like eight times, guys. Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) But, you know, this is certainly not the last conversation that we'll have about this. There will be more, rest rest assured, that we wanted to come at you as we enter the Halloween threshold, the Samhain threshold, and uh, just give you some of our experiences. So until next time, goodbye, and we will see you later. Our mission is to empower you, so if you have enjoyed the show, please like, comment, subscribe, and share. Help us appease the algorithmic gods because it empowers us to empower others. And if you would like to stay up to date with our insights, downloads, and upcoming shows, check us out on Instagram by searching using our inside voice, all one word. And until next time, this is Jamie. And this is Heather. And we are using our outside voice to say stay safe. Stay sovereign, and we will see you next time.